Hello, everyone. Sorry about that. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties. Um, Wendy's having a little trouble hooking on to us. We had her for a minute, and then she went away. So we're going to get started with uh, Alex Allison um, from Thistle Editorial, and she is going to kind of <laughs> wing it. Oh, we might have Wendy joining us. Let's see if she uh, is able to. Well, I'm going to let Alex get started, and then if Wendy comes on and is able to talk. We see you, Wendy. Can we hear you? Hi, yes. Yes. Yay! There we go. Perfect. All right, then I am uh, turning it over to you. I'm going to bring up your slides, and I will let you guys get started. All right, all yours. Are you good, Wendy? Yeah, I can't see the slides, though. How do I? Okay. I just, I see Alex. Do you see a little now box? Now I see them. Okay, there you go. If you click on that box, it'll bring them up. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, so we're going to talk today about qualitative research um, in CME, CE. Um, next slide, please. Um, so uh, basically today we're going to review the qualitative approach. So uh, for those of you who don't have a baseline of qualitative research, we'll just quickly review that. Talk about its applicability in the life cycle of continuing education in the health professions. Uh, speak a little bit about different data collection methods. Um, and then talk about questions that are appropriate for qualitative interviewing and uh, some tips on interview behavior that will help bring out more information from respondents. Uh, touch a little bit on analysis and give you some uh, resources there and talk about how reporting would differ for qualitative versus other types of uh, research, namely qual quantitative. Okay, next slide. Great, next slide. Uh, so this is a quote that uh, Alex and I have always liked. Uh, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. And it does point out that, um, uh, you know, we'd like to mention that we're not, uh, we don't have any bad feelings about quantitative research, and we deal with numbers and quantitative data all of the time. Uh, but there's more to the story than just uh, statistics and quantitative data. Qualitative data and hearing more of the why versus just the what is also very valuable, uh, especially in our field when we're learning about physicians and patients and behavior. Okay. Great. So um, the way that we see qualitative research is um, as a kind of contrast to um, quantitative research, and that's because of the philosophy of knowledge, I suppose, that underpins uh, qualitative uh, research. Qualitative methodologies tend to be based on the assumption that you know all human behaviour is shaped by um, social and cultural context. It's shaped by beliefs. It's shaped by values. Things that don't necessarily lend themselves often to quantitative. Um, quantitative measures. Um, and where quantitative research tends to be based on uh, a positivistic uh, philosophy of knowledge, that is, you know, the idea that you can measure things um, uh, in, a, in a way that shows you uh, objective truths. Qualitative approaches tend to be uh, a little bit softer, some might say, but tend to be based more on an interpretive, take an interpretive uh, stance um, uh, to, to really get more information about 
what people are feeling, what people are thinking, what they're experiencing when they are um, delivering healthcare or experiencing healthcare. And uh, Ronald uh, Servaru summed up, I, I think, a lot of what qualitative research is about in that physicians or other healthcare providers make clinical decisions but not necessarily in circumstances of their own choosing. So qualitative research is really trying to get at all those other softer, less tangible um, uh, kind of issues around healthcare delivery that quantitative um, research struggles to capture, um, you know, depending on, on um, what it is that they're trying to uh, uh, capture. So qualitative research is really about exploring rather than um, capturing a kind of definitive, uh, objective, solid uh, truth. Mm -hmm. Okay, next slide. Okay. Mm. Yeah, we can move on from that. Move on, next slide. Um, so uh, qualitative is appropriate for continuing education in the health professions because uh, physician behavior, patient behavior, patient care, these are all very complex phenomena. So uh, a method like qualitative which uh, really is able to capture context and capture really deep responses regarding how people are navigating as a patient or as a physician or together in communication uh, is a very good match. Uh, there are very there are different approaches to qualitative from very unstructured to very structured but in general there's a semi-structured approach and it's an open-ended approach to inquiry more exploratory as Alex mentioned, less limiting. Uh, moving beyond the A through E answer choices that we often see in multiple choice questions, sometimes we don't know what the A through E are um, and qualitative might be a good first step in informing surveys or just a step on its own um, just to explore uh, an area that we don't know much about. Uh, there's an interaction between an interviewer and an interviewee um, and a, a back and forth that you really don't get from uh, surveys that you don't get from most quant approaches. Um, that the researcher, the qualitative researcher, has to adapt to what's being said and change their questioning uh, according to what's being said. So, um, you know, sometimes following the lead of the respondent a bit. Um, so that makes it very unique. It does, and it also makes it, um, you know, that's one of his advantages is that, you know, often in interviews people tell you things that you haven't necessarily uh, considered, and a, a survey can't possibly deal with that. So. In, in qualitative research you can uh, really follow up on um, insights that you weren't anticipating and that's one of its, its key values. Great. Um, so here's a slide um, that demonstrates how you know the same type of research question can be answered differently uh, with quantitative versus qualitative data, both valuable, but telling different sides of the story. So quantitative data, 37% drop was observed uh, in this certain variable. Uh, on the qualitative data you really see, um, you know, the this is a physician at this point in time talking about the experience with the patient, uh, you know, after the bypass surgery, when they've seen God, they listen, but after they're out of the hospital, etc., they feel like they're invincible. So hearing those words, that, you know, I can picture the physician, you really get a feel for the frustration this physician's hearing uh, trying to deal with adherence issues uh, with patients. 
it says something a little in, in a different way with a bit more feeling and context than the quantitative data. Next slide, please. Um, so we're not going to get into depth uh, because of time constraints, uh, but this is definitely a takeaway if anyone wants the slides. Uh, just comparing qualitative and quantitative. Um, so in general, quantitative data, you're, you have greater numbers. Um, it's a bit, it's more uh, of a, um, not as deep a probe. So uh, you're going to get some information. You're going to be able to generalize from it, from it because you have statistical power. You have a larger sample size. Uh, with qualitative research, you have less subjects, less respondents, but you could go deeper, do a deeper dive, get more information, more details, more context. You can't, however, generalize from this data. You can't say because of these 10 interviews with physicians, X, Y, and Z happen, therefore X, Y, and Z uh, is likely to be happening elsewhere. Uh, that's something you can't do because of the small n. What you can do is you know, learn about new phenomena and then perhaps research it more with larger samples if you want to get that statistical significance. Um, but it's great to learn about new information, to get insight, to help explain quantitative data, uh, etc. Next slide, please. Um, so as far as applications in the CEHP continuum, uh, in the beginning, uh, qualitative data is wonderful for needs assessment research. Um, to find out about those gaps in care. It's a wonderful match in that area, and Alex and I um, con have conducted uh, collaboratively some needs assessment studies uh, before uh, CME uh, was even uh, developed just to learn about gaps in care, how physicians and other healthcare providers are practicing, what are their educational needs, um, how are they measuring up to best practices, etc. cetera. Uh, and then there, you can use it as for formative uh, so, of course, the needs assessment data will help uh, inform the CME education that you'll be putting forth. Uh, informative evaluation, which is um, assessing education that's going to be used um, in a series, so uh, education that will be repeated over and over again. Uh, you could use it that way, or if you just want to learn about how effective your education is in meeting gaps early on before it's launched to a wider scale, that's a phase you could use it in as well. And of course, traditional outcomes evaluation, uh, you could use qualitative just as um, we use pre and post testing uh, quantitatively in CME. So there are any phase that you use quant, you could use qualitative as well, either alone or within a mixed methods design collaboratively with quantitative. Hey, Next Wendy, slide. Yeah. I'm going to shoot out a quick question to you that someone submitted. Um, Something I'm considering in our current project is we've talked about using qualitative data to capture insights into quantitative data, but maybe we can reverse this thinking. The quantitative data can support the qualitative findings or validate them. Your thoughts? Right. Well, uh, Alex, chime in if, uh, as, as well, but most often qualitative is the first step. Um, for researchers, uh, not only in our fields, but in other fields, in social sciences, and, and other fields where qualitative is used, it's oftentimes used to inform survey development. Um, so you find out, I mentioned before, the A through E answer choices. You want to learn if you're on target with those choices, if there are some that you've never even thought of. So being more exploratory, qualitative is a good first step uh, to help that. Anything else to add, Alex? Well, just to say that, that um, in, in response um, to that question, I mean, you and I have certainly participated on projects, not uh, well, some CME projects, where, in fact, that, that situation is reversed. So 
we've um, conducted a baseline survey first to capture information about practice patterns and then based on some of the results of those surveys design um, a qualitative component to, to dig deeper, to explore a little bit more, to try and capture, as Wendy was talking about earlier, um, some of the, the hows and the whys um, and really get into um, you know, the mindset um, that is underpinning uh, the clinical practice patterns that you're capturing in your survey. So that, that's certainly, that is certainly a way to go. Right. So I guess what we're saying from both of our comments, you could surmise that there's really no one uh, you know, set in stone right way to do that. Um, it depends maybe what your ultimate goal is. Are you confident in your survey already so that you could just move forward with your quant survey? Um, and then use the qualitative as uh, icing on the cake to really help explain things more? Or are, are you more interested in developing a very strong survey instrument? And in that case, qualitative might want, you might want qual to go first. Okay. Next slide, please. Data collection. So um, there are uh, many different methodologies uh, to collect qualitative data. Um, and the pictures here uh, demonstrate uh, in-depth um, in-person interviewing. Uh, and then there's telephonic interviewing, which is still very common, uh, even with the internet technologies. People still like a phone interviewing sometimes. There are also online uh, methods uh, to conduct those in-depth interviews or focus groups. You could do that online as well. Um, and that's what that uh, Skype picture there represents. You could use Skype, you could use Google Chat. <laughs> there are also many vendors that have platforms just um, developed for qualitative uh, interviewing online uh, groups. And sometimes there's webcams like that, sometimes it's chat-based. There's pros and cons of that, which we won't get into today. Uh, and the stack of folders represents text analysis. So any kind of text, medical charts, EMR data, uh, any kind of written language that you have can be analyzed qualitatively. Also pictures, videos, um, audio files, all of these can be coded and analyzed qualitatively. Um, next slide, please. So um, just, uh, we did mention online methods of having interviews and focus groups. Uh, research methodologies have really evolved with the communication styles. Uh, and because, often because of economics and because of an interest in getting, capturing, including subjects from around the world or around the country in different time zones, these telephonic and internet methods are, are pretty popular. There's still a place for in-person data collection, but sometimes it's just not, um, logistically feasible or economically feasible. So there are cost savings, benefits, um, etc. cetera. Uh, and the Twitter and LinkedIn icons there are representing how there are qualitative researchers that are analyzing Twitter data that are entering, um, and if you think about in our field, there are healthcare researchers looking at data on in face group, face group, Facebook patient pages. So might look at a patient uh, group for type two diabetes and analyze all the chat that's going back and forth about different topics. So any type of text, whether it's in social media or in, uh, you know, in the real world, are all open for analysis and good sources of data. Next slide, please. Um, and here are just some sh uh, shots, uh, screenshots. We're not going to get into this too much just to see those online platforms and get a feel for what it looks like. This can be chat-based without the webcam. Sometimes you want anonymity, especially maybe with patient research or physicians that are talking about how they're not adhering to best practices. Uh, sometimes you might want a webcam. Uh, types of questions. Next slide, please. 
So the kinds of questions that a qualitative um, uh, research approaches uses tend to differ from um, quantitative surveys, mainly because um, they really um, uh, really start from a kind of open premise. So most of the questions that you would use in quantitative research would be open-ended questions uh, because you're really trying to get a feel for um, or, or, or capture insights from the participants' perspective and really trying to kind of encourage them to talk about their experience in their own words. So qualitative questions tend to be, um, you know, could you tell me about challenges you practice in managing patients with type 2 diabetes rather than um, are there challenges? Um, and which of the following challenges do you experience when you're treating patients with diabetes, which you might get in a survey um, kind of uh, uh, situation. There are different kinds of questions that you can ask in the course of qualitative interviews or focus groups. Um, usually we would start with a kind of broad question to open up inquiry and you know, help to get people feel comfortable with your interview style and that kind of thing. Probing questions are questions or probes and follow-ups are questions that you can use when people say something that you hadn't necessarily anticipated but that sound like they could be potentially worth exploring. So you really want to probe a little bit and say, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Or what did you mean when you said X? They, they're still fairly general questions, but you're really trying to get the participant to dial down into what they're, they're telling you. Um, specifying questions can be questions that perhaps the participant has told you something that's interesting, but you want to get a clearer sense of what does it mean to them? How were they feeling when they um, experienced the thing that they, they told you about? And interpreting questions are really questions that um, you want to make sure that you really understand what somebody's told you, so you reflect back to them what they've said, um, you know, am I understanding that correctly? So you can use those kinds of questions to really make sure that um, you're understanding what the participant um, is, is telling you to ensure your understanding. Next slide, please. Um, oh, I see there's something on this slide that probably ought not to be there. Never mind. Um, Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the you know there are just a, a few more things that it's it, that it's probably important to bear in mind in relation to questions. So when we're um, conducting qualitative interviews, as with surveys, of course, and qualitative interviews, qualitative research can actually help you to um, sensitize your surveys to the language and the vocabulary of your survey participants. But it's important to really think about the words that you're using and the vocabulary that you're using uh, depending on who you're interviewing. So for instance, if you're in interviewing physicians, you want to make sure that the questions that you ask you know, convey some sense of your knowledge of what their expertise is so that that helps to build confidence um, in the interview relationship. So you want to use the kind of vocabulary that they're likely to use. Um, whereas if you're interviewing patients, you want to use more lay language um, in order to um, you know, help patients uh, you know, not feel that they weren't able to answer your, your questions. Um, the tone of the question um, you know, needs to be appropriate. 
when we're conducting qualitative interviews and, and focus groups, we one of the things we really want to make sure is that you know the participant isn't made to feel defensive by the, the kind of question that we're asking. So you have to pay quite a lot of attention to um, the tone of voice that you're using um, and, and, and the tone of the question, not to kind of strike any defensive uh, notes. And then there are other things that, um, that we usually bear in mind when we're conducting qualitative research. When we're writing questions and creating question pro interview protocols, um, we usually try to do that in a way that um, sequences questions from broad to specific, from general to particular, from easy to answer to, you know, might require a little bit more um, thought and consideration, um, particularly in areas that are potentially contentious or challenging for participants to talk about. Next slide, please. Am I doing this one or are you doing this one, Wendy? I can't okay. remember. Um, I'll take it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so moving on with uh, interview behavior, so active listening of the respondent, really being in the moment, uh, encouraging the respondent. So uh, when you are in person or if you're uh, online, if you have a webcam trying to give that nonverbal feedback, uh, you might not be able to do that with some other techniques. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes you might uh, have a chat-based uh, focus group or interview, so you could give uh, feedback, uh, you know, with text. Uh, so staying neutral, so really not uh, trying to share any opinions or agreeing with certain opinions or, you know, disagreeing. You really want to stay neutral and just li listen and encourage uh, people to share. Uh, you don't want to be a counselor or a teacher or uh, giving any facts. Uh, you really want to be a sounding board. Okay, uh, next, please. Coding and analysis. Okay, great. Move, uh, next one, please. Thanks. So coding is basically breaking down data into units, uh, which are grouped according to different characteristics or variables. So um, this proceeds linking diverse observations and it helps with understanding. So when you have scrolls and scrolls of data, if you're doing 10 interviews that might last 60 minutes each, that's going to be a lot of transcripts. Um, you really can't trust yourself. Uh, even if you have a high opinion of yourself, you cannot trust yourself to really remember everything that's happening with who um, and uh, you know which themes are near other themes. So you really need to do some type of coding. Uh, it just helps with organizing all this data and accessing it. And thank goodness we have software these days to help with this. Back in the day, people had highlighters and sticky pads to code. Um, and there's much more checks and balances and uh, reduces a lot of error uh, by using software for this process. Next slide, please. So the first phase is just to review the data. So of course the first step is going to be just to read your transcripts. You know, what's happening, what's important, uh, and then going through and coding and bringing out those themes. You might code in large chunks, you might code line by line uh, very uh, in a very fine manner. Uh, and you do want to go back and repeat and refine because sometimes you themes emerge later on after the fifth interview that you're looking at and you wouldn't have thought of those the, for, uh, as a pattern for, uh, when you were looking at that first physician interview. So it's good to go back and make sure that you're applying all of those consistently. Uh, when you're using software, you can look at the themes and see which are used infrequently. You might want to 
combine them and collapse them uh, as your understanding of the data uh, emerges as time goes on. Uh, text can be tabbed with more than one code as well. So, you know, you might have two different uh, phenomena that are happening in one statement or seven. <laughs> Next slide, please. Yeah, so the themes that Wendy's talking about really come from um, what's termed grounded theory. Some of you may be familiar with this. Um, uh, Glazer and Strauss were uh, two sociologists who um, developed this particular theoretical uh, approach to analyzing qualities of data in the 1960s, and they've really been very influential um, in, in uh, qual. Um, and, you know, sometimes, well, I, you know, I think when you read qualitative research in, in associated with healthcare and healthcare delivery, Glazer and Strauss and grounded theory are probably, is probably the main theory that you're going to come across. But don't, don't let the term theory scare you off. All grounded theory really is, I shouldn't say that because I would be slapped by grounded theorists, theory purists, but what grounded theory really is, it's, you know, looking at your text and trying to um, avoid making assumptions about what you expect to find and really building up your analysis from the ground up. So those themes that Wendy was talking about are things that you begin to see in the data as you read within transcripts and across or within interviews and across interviews. That's, that's how you start to build up um, patterns in, in, in the data by kind of looking at what's there rather than trying to kind of superimpose what you think might be there. Now, in practice, you know, it's not as perfectly separated as that. There's a kind of analysis in qualitative research is a kind of iterative process when you're going back and forward between what you're beginning to see in the data and what you're reading about in the literature or what your expert faculty or stakeholders are uh, telling you about what they see um, in the data. So it, it is a kind of back and forward process. But really the idea is to um, look at your textual or visual data and get a sense of what's happening from the perspectives of the people who are participating in your research rather than um, Im imposing or making assumptions about what's going on. We can go to the next slide. Um, okay, so software, um, so software is not going to conduct the analysis for you, but it can definitely assist, as we already mentioned, when you have scrolls of data, uh, you cannot trust yourself with remembering everything. And what's wonderful is you could tag different transcripts, so different respondents, whether it's an interview, focus group, or any other type of method we talked about earlier, you could tag people based on different variables. So a CME example might be MD versus NP versus PA, uh, gender, you might look at geography, you might have variables such as whether they're um, an academic versus a non-academic practitioner, small group practice, large group practice, you know, the sky's the limit, and you can uh, cross-tabulate those results with themes that are emerging. So it's kind of putting a quantitative layer on the qualitative data, uh, but it's and it's not going to be um, statistically significant or something to generalize from, but it's good to look at patterns yeah. uh, and to see uh, among what groups did certain themes emerge more versus less or in collaboration. 
Uh, so it's great for that. Um, it helps with the rigor of your analysis, the validity of it, um, and uh, really helps you get a feel for your data. There's also plenty of visualizations. We have some slides we'll show you where you can make wonderful graphs and charts. Uh, so that really helps with reporting. Next slide. Please. The nice thing about using software as well is that you can create a kind of audit trail so that if there are more than is if there's more than one person analyzing the data, you can see how people have how the other people have coded um, pieces of, of text, um, and you can have conversations about that helps you to have conversations about whether you're um, seeing the same thing, whether you're coding in the same way. Uh, so it's very useful from that point of view and, and helps to build up not only um, validity, as Wendy was saying, but reliability as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this slide's a little redundant, so we'll skip this, please. Next slide, please. Okay, so uh, as you might imagine, since the data collection and analysis is so different from quantitative, the reporting is going to be different as well. And the best thing about qualitative reporting is using quotes. Uh, so using the re actual words of your respondent, you know, talk about personalizing a report and data, uh, it's, it's so fabulous and it really makes reports more interesting uh, and you get a feel for what individuals are going through in certain circumstances. So you're not counting, uh, you should not be counting in qualitative reporting, you're really looking at trends. So trends, relationships, when something happens more often, less often, throw mm -hmm. quotes in to kind of demonstrate a point you're describing, and uh, the visualizations that we described can be uh, in, in reports as well. Uh, and of, of course interpretation, just like in quantitative reporting, you, it's nice to have what does this mean to me, what is this data saying at the end. You, want it, you could do that throughout, you could do it at the end, but it's great, especially in our world, to have interpretation um, as well. Next slide, please. Um, so there are a few slides where we have some quotes here, and we don't have to read them verbatim, um, but this deck's available to anyone. Uh, and just an example of how uh, you might describe in a report versus counting and stating as a fact. So we're not counting how many people responded to a question. We're saying, for some patients, this happened. Um, you know, this happened to nurse practitioners and physicians, uh, something else happened to. In many cases, this happens. Uh, you know, you're talking about trends. Uh, you're not talking about a, a fact that something happened among a certain percentage of people. Um, next slide, please. Just giving some more examples. Uh, here's one giving voice. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked, we had this, this quote before uh, from the provider. And here's a patient, um, a patient quote talking about their struggle with adherence. Um, you know, um, there's just the struggle with medications rather, uh, you know, make it work and there are side effects uh, and talking about financial barriers and hearing a patient talking about struggling with financial barriers and just paying for medication they need says something very different than just giving a percentage of how many patients have financial barriers. Right. It's really more descriptive. Next slide, please. So uh, here's just a way to integrate a quote. Um, you know, you might have a statement and a description about what you're seeing in the data, and then right afterwards you should follow it with a quote that exemplifies what you just described. So that's a good way to kind of lay it out in a report. Next slide, please. Hey, Wendy and Alex, I'm just cutting in real quick. I'm going to give you about a five-minute warning, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's fine.
we could probably end if it, we'll just look at this, which is a, an example of visualizations. Oh, actually, we'll open to questions if there are any. Um, but here are we talked about visualizations that the software can make, and these are fabulous to put into reports. As you might imagine, qualitative reports are very text heavy. It's great to have some pictures to break up um, all of that text. Uh, and you know to describe something you could do modeling in the software where you talk about how variables are related to each other um, etc um, is there anything else we want to touch on before question before any questions Alex no I think that's it are there any questions Derek? okay great no we had the one question which I already gave to you and so I think we are done and okay we're the next slide I think just has a picture a screenshot of software so maybe we'll show that before okay hold on let me bring it up sorry that's all right. Keep going. No, next. Nope, that's quick. No, okay, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no all right, well, problem. our contact information is here, so please get in touch with either of us with any questions. We're always happy to help people doing qual uh, in our in our industry. Absolutely, fantastic, and thanks so much for the presentation. I'm glad we pushed through uh, the technical difficulties. Yeah, about that. New computer. Hey, you never know. Um, so great. So we are going to jump right into the next one as soon as I close this one out. Uh, Margie Schaller talking about So You Think You Want to Be a Speaker. Um, we'll be back in about three or four minutes. And thanks to both of you again. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Derek. Okay, bye-bye.